situation. He took a pinch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Please. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over with the Jimmy's Bob Pearl Harbor? The castration of the major league baseball managers. We know it. Ask me about my. And he thought that New York Mets reliever Edwin Diaz should not pitch if he is 100% healthy. It's probably one of the silliest things that I've ever heard. And if you believe that he should not pitch because his team's not going so well, or the season's not going so well, imagine an executive in a business being out with an injury and then not returning this year because it's not a good fiscal year. I wouldn't be surprised to see a Braves-Rangers World Series this year. And if you think about it, it be very entertaining on many different fronts. From the Braves really having a chance to build a dynasty for the first time really in this decade, maybe take it away from the Astros. And then the Rangers, how they've been able to rebuild themselves in two years and kind of load up. Also, the Bruce Bochy element. I think Bruce Bochy, as the manager, chance to win his fourth World Series championship. That would be ridiculously exciting. But the prolegomenal point that I want to get into on today's past ball show has to do with um, asserting accountability when it comes to the failures of a given team. Now, I'm baseball-centric, so I'm going to talk about it from a baseball standpoint. But you could also talk about football or basketball or hockey because Every one of those sports has teams that have very high expectations and in some cases shit the bed, spit the bit, however you want to word it, um, obviously not perform to uh, the back of the sports card or the sports reference page of that given team of what they're expected to do over the course of a given season. But how do you, how do you assert the accountability? Is it you want to do it the way the fans do? Blame the manager, the coach, blame uh, whoever put the team together. In the end, accountability has to be had for any team that is expected to do much better than they happen to be around the trading deadline or after it as they're going through the home stretch of a given season. Teams getting ready to play some postseason ball and the team that was supposed to is not doing so. And I thought the New York Mets hit it right on the head. Maybe not necessarily with the moves that they made. I think a lot will a lot of the future will tell you whether Gilbert, Clifford, Acuna, and I don't give them first names yet because they're not up to the major league level yet. We just know them as prospects. But if they end up turning out to be good and be part of the future of what could be expected over a winning baseball team then his deadline was great. But I think, more importantly, from an accountability standpoint, it held the right people accountable. Because you have a manager, and Buck Showalter was the manager of the year in 2022. They thought that he brought such great things to the Mets. And you know what? where where would the Mets be if Buck Showalter wasn't their manager? That was the, the theme of 2022. Now all of a sudden he forgot how to manage. Now all of a sudden he sucks. He's, he's, he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Now... The right people that are held accountable are the players on that team. The players that came in in the offseason, the players that were there last year and are here this year. And the best way to hold them accountable is 
to drop yourself out of the race and say the hell with it. What you thought was going to be a big season, we know isn't because of your performance. You're the one to blame for it. It's your fault, players. And I thought the Mets did a great job of doing that. While, hey, they could have held on to Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander and maybe had better fortune in the month of August. The players that are there are held accountable. They look at themselves in the mirror and they realize that they're the reason why Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander are not on that team anymore. Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander on the other side may be thinking, uh, you know, roses are pretty, uh, pretty nice looking at the moment. Things look very good and bloomy as they get ready to play postseason baseball. The Astros once again with Verlander and the Rangers, the upstart Rangers with Max Scherzer as at the head of their starting rotation. But as they look back at their time in the Mets, they realize, hey, we had something to do with the reason why we were traded. Max Scherzer was traded partially because of some poor performances he had over the course of the 2023 season. Getting caught with the sticky shit. You know, Verlander being out at the beginning of the season. The players that were on that team were the reason that they failed in 2023, and they are held accountable, and I'm happy to see that. Number two, you know, when it comes to the big free agent that's out there, Shohei Otani, I figure there's going to be anywhere between about 10 and 12 legitimate suitors. Teams that really will think about deep digging deep into their wallets to pay what it costs to get Shohei Otani. And I think in the end, half of the teams, half of the 12 or 10 or whatever, will drop out after they realize the price is going to be more than even they could bargain for. What they believe is a lot of money is going to be nowhere near enough to land maybe the best baseball player that we've ever seen. The dude that can pitch, the dude that can hit. Um, He's an MVP and Cy Young candidate each year as a potential 50 home run hitter as a potential pitcher that could go out there and strike out 200 batters a season, and he is yet to hit the age of 30. I don't have to sell you on why. This might be one of the best free agents, maybe the best free agent in the history of baseball free agency. But I think about it because it's going to take a team that has very deep pockets. And you wonder, is Shohei Otani's interest in staying on the West Coast enough to give up $100 million or more. dollars Because that's what I think the Mets are going to be able to offer. Steve Cohen, you know, you're talking about maybe taking a step back in 2024, maybe. But he's looking to get younger. And you certainly get younger by bringing in the best player that the sport has seen within the last 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, maybe even ever. You go out there and you offer the most money. You offer over a half a billion dollars. For the best pitcher and potentially the best hitter. And maybe you're there in the top four. Maybe the Yankees are given a strong offer in the you know, 400s. They make an effort. Maybe the Red Sox jump in and say, hey, we're going to go over $400 million. Maybe the Colorado Rockies say, the hell with it. You know what? We want this player. We're going to do the best we can and maybe be up in the high 300 millions. And there's no teams on the West Coast for Otani to go to. And his agent gauges the Dodgers, engages the San Francisco Giants, and maybe the San Diego Padres to pony up something in the neighborhood of plus $400 million to get, like I said, the best free agent in the history of the sport. 
and he has to make that decision. Whether he wants to stay on the West Coast that much, and is it worth it to him to maybe make the biggest succession or concession in a history of sports contracts, to leave more than $100 million on the table, which I believe the New York Mets are going to go out there and be able to offer. And I think they could also bring in Yoshinobu Yamamoto, as this freaking dog's barking, add him to a rotation with Kodai Senga, and have three Japanese pitchers in the same rotation, probably with the same amount of rest that they need to pitch once a week. I think that's a good path going forward if you're looking to rebuild a ball club. So number three, I had to jump in with a little bit of a take on the latest with James Harden. And I know you can listen to your watch your ESPN or your national shows and get enough takes on them. I mean, you, you know if you've watched the PBS at all, my thoughts on them. I think James Harden's a good player. He's a Hall of Fame type of player. I think he's going to be in a Basketball Hall of Fame. He, he, he At his best, he was a pure scorer. Maybe not necessarily at the age he's at right now. But I, I think he believes, and some people are in the same category too, he believes he's a lot better and more valuable than he is. James Harden doesn't have a track record for winning. He has never helped make a team that he's been on better, including the Philadelphia 76ers of last year, including the Brooklyn Nets of a couple years ago, including those great Houston Rocket teams. Now, does he has he earned the right to be traded to where he wants to? Uh, I don't know. I mean, he may have a chance to sit through this year. If he decides he's not going to play for the Philadelphia 76ers, he could do a Ben Simmons and not play the entire season and then hit free agency in stride next year. Well, hopefully he could get his contract voided because if there is no more of a uh, malpractice in regards to the responsibility of an individual. You signed a contract to play basketball and you're choosing not to play basketball. You shouldn't get paid. Like Ben Simmons should not have gotten paid anything for his choice to not play just because he didn't like the fact that Joel Embiid made fun of him because he took the ball to the basket and instead of putting it in the basket, he passed it. He looked like a freaking moron, but I digress. James Harden is going to look back at this decision to not play with this group. Now, is it financially motivated? Of course. He wanted that max contract. Every top player in the NBA wants to get paid that max money. And if you look at what Anthony Davis is making with the Los Angeles Lakers, you know the thought is, is that every player that is that type of player or thinks that they're type of player should be getting paid that kind of money. And in James Harden's mind, he made a concession for that two-year deal instead of getting paid the max money that the 76ers are going to build a better team around them and they didn't get as far as they needed to in the postseason. But part of it was on him. Part of it was on James Harden maybe thinking a little bit too much. And instead of being a dynamic scorer that could go out there and score, score 30, 40, 50 on a given night, he tried to be a facilitator. He tried to be things that he is not. He's a guy that takes a lot of shots hoping that a lot of them goes in, and when he doesn't have a shot, he barrels himself in like a bull with the ball and draws a foul and goes to the foul line. That's the way he plays basketball. And if he's not going to do the things that have gotten him to the level of echelon that he's at right now, he is no help to his team. 
So as we move into today's Saving Sports History segment, i got to be honest, there's, there's not a lot in regards to Saving Sports History to talk about today. But if you go back to the year of 1950, Ezra Charles, probably one of the more underrated heavyweight champions in the history of the sport, was not a dominant champion. Certainly was not on the level of Ali or you know uh, Jack Dempsey or even Tyson or Holmes in their prime. But Ezra Charles was a, a very strong fighter, a very good champion that he held He held for about a year or two. But he, he uh, retained the title by beating Freddie Bashor on this day in 1950. 1989, Dave Dravecki making a miraculous comeback from cancer in his arm for the San Francisco Giants in just his second appearance back. Had that uh, terrible... Um, situation where his arm broke in the middle of his delivery when they found that the cancer ended up coming back. The arm had to get amputated. Such a sad situation and one of the sadder moments in baseball that we, we saw unfold uh, you know, before our eyes. That happened on this day in 1989. 2012, we had the number, the 23rd perfect game in the history of Major League Baseball, one of whom I thought might be the last. And that was Felix Hernandez of the Seattle Mariners. one nothing victory, by the way. Which How hard has that got to be to throw a perfect game and to be all composed and be able to not only win the game, not only not give up any hits, but not give up any base runners with the backdrop of your team spotting you just one run. I think that's one of the things that doesn't get spoke about. How great of a perfect game Felix Hernandez was, as opposed to a lot of other ones. And like I said, I thought we'd never see another one. Domingo Herman, and I know he's out, um, probably not going to pitch again this season, citing some help and getting some help for his alcohol issues that he got. I wish him the best, and obviously a great performance for perfect game number 24. PGA Championships won on this day, April, I'm sorry, August 15th. 1965, Dave Marr. 1993, Paul Azinger. 1999, Tiger Woods. 2004, VJ Singh. 2005, Phil Mickelson. And 2010, Marvin Kamer. All won the PGA Championship on this day in sports history. Gene Upshaw, former NFL guard and the president of the NFLPA, was born on this day in 1945. Tom Kelly. Great manager of the Minnesota Twins. I think he belongs in baseball's Hall of Fame. Two-time World Series champion, 1987-1991. Born on this day in 1950. Eric Bieniemy is uh, the offensive coordinator of now the Washington Commanders. Longtime assistant under Andy Reid. Two-time Super Bowl champion as a coach with the Kansas City Chiefs. We're going to see how good of an offensive coordinator he is. Now that he's not tied to Andy Reid, he's not tied to Patrick Mahomes anymore. So kind of a big risk that he took, maybe with a a thought of taking that next step to be an NFL head coach if he succeeds in Washington with Sam Howell. He's certainly going to be an NFL head coach very soon, maybe as soon as next year. 1970, Chris Bird, two-time heavyweight champion. Back in uh, 2000, he held the WBO championship and 2002, the IBF championship. And I know there were a little bit of an issue, contention in regards to who the real champion was at that time, but a two-time heavyweight champion deserves some credit on this show. Chris Bird was born on this day in 1970. 2022, last year, just a year ago, 
we lost one of the better college basketball head coaches in the history of the sport. Pete Carrill passed away, 13-time Ivy League champion as the head coach of the Princeton Tigers. So this is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. If you're interested in hearing me flap my yap mouth, you could listen to me on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, videos on YouTube. YouTube Shorts coming pretty soon. We're going to keep on the one minute, um, some contentious points in the world of sports, some top ten list, and then maybe if this works out, we'll get into some of my personal feelings. God bless you, and as always, I'll see you on the other side. Chris Bryant was on the Chicago Cubs roster opening day. I have many leather-bound books. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. Why don't you give it all or a majority of it to the team that wins the freaking World Series? I was going to listen to that, but then I just carried on living my life. I may come out as the biggest Major League Baseball manager apologist. That'll only make someone work just hard enough not to get fired. Because hitters are going out there saying, I'm either going to hit a home run or I'm going to strike out. And if I don't get a pitch that I feel like I could drive out of the park. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Especially prospect hoarders and hoarders are going to be a little pissed off at me when I say this. There are only two managers in baseball's Hall of Fame who have losing records. One of them is the iconic Connie Mack, who you could say, in spite of winning five World Series championships as a manager, could be in as much as a pioneer. And what side of the spectrum they're on? Were they pitching? Were they batting? If your favorite team was pitching and a ball got inside and hit a batter, there's no way it could have been on purpose. But if you were a fan of the team that was batting and a ball got inside and hit somebody or went behind somebody's head, absolutely 100%, unequivocally, that pitcher was throwing at They put their tail between their legs, decided they're going to do exactly what they're told. You damn well right better give him a contract extension. You damn well right better make him the manager over the next series of years. 35 years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion.